Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast giving you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, as always, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me on my virtual left, Shaylin Allen, the good podcast host. I'm more than just virtual. I'm there spiritually. Ooh. <laughs> uh, all right, well then, on my metaphorical right, we have the evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. Well, if she's spiritually here, does that mean I'm demonically here? Does that mean I possess someone? If you want to be. Yeah, sure, we'll do it. Possessor good. I, I don't know. Do you do you have the possession power? Did you pay for it? It's only one CP. Oh, well, then it probably is worth it, yeah. He, he possessed your cat. Oh, no. They're already basically demons. So... One thing that we wanted to to kind of put out here, because we we like to do public service announcements now and again, um, do what we can to kind of keep community awareness and everything up, is even though I know a lot of you are struggling a lot with potentially being out of work either now or in the near future because of the coronavirus, if you kind of take a moment... Think about what things are what's going to be happening for your local game stores because this is going to be rough for a lot of small businesses. They're going to be facing a lot of people who can't work. Uh, they may be closed entirely, or they may just be getting reduced sales. It is going to be very difficult, and even very large companies are closing their doors. GW closed their doors and said we're just we're not doing any production for a while. That's that's a big sign right there. And their warehouse is shut down, so you can't even order anything. Eventually, there will will kill the market. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting future with that, because you're going to have, you know, delayed psychic awakening and this and that. So, But that's that's a whole other mess we'll tackle later once we get through the actual uh, crisis itself. Yeah. To all of that, if you are in a situation where you're still relatively financially stable and uh, you're, you find you're doing all right then maybe pick up your Christmas gifts a little bit early or buy a few gift cards or visit the online store of whatever local game store you've got. Um, Or if they're doing curbside service or something like that, then go and pick that up. Because for companies like this that typically do not have much of a cash reserve, which most small businesses do not, um, that extra few hundred dollars can make all the difference. That can be the difference between paying rent and not for them. Or between, you know, the guy who owns the store being able to afford his mortgage or dinner or whatnot. The, these small businesses are always kind of right on the brink. It's always tough for them. A lot of small businesses just don't make it, period. Uh, but something like this is especially tough for them. Uh, so anything you can do to, to help them out and give them that little nudge forward, especially now to sort of preempt it. You know, if you know you're going to spend that money anyways and you can afford to do it, do it now rather than later. Because for them, there may not be a later if there isn't a now. Yeah, many of these stores are also uh, hosts of upcoming GTs that have been canceled, upcoming majors. A lot of you have bought your tickets already. Um, if you're in a position where you don't need that refund... Uh, you don't get it. Just let them have it. <laughs> yeah. You you were going to go to that tournament next year anyways, and they'll they'll just roll the ticket back anyways. So if if it is not the difference between 
you getting through this and not, then maybe think about just holding on to the ticket and saving it for next year. Uh, because that, again, that can make a huge difference for them. I, I will also point out that people are extremely creative. And if you can call them up and just say, hey, I'm willing to work something out to get you some money, they'll find a way to help you. Yeah. Uh, because in, in most cases, these are like, you probably know the store owner. You probably know most of the regulars. This is the community you built already. Uh, and times like this are really when it helps to try and pull the community together and do everything we can for each other to make it through this. And obviously, there are a lot of more significant ways that people are doing this um, in in terms of controlling the pandemic. But um there's stuff you can do that will help out your local store, and right now it really is a case of every dollar makes a difference. As far as being the evil podcast host here, I will give the grim news that not everyone's going to make it, um, you know, and we're talking stores here, not just people, and it it's a truly awful situation, and if you know, um, you know, a, a store owner that needs to close down or, you know, someone that's not going to be able to reopen... Um, make sure to reach out to those people and help them as best they can. Is it, it's it's going to be a rough time sailing, not just for their business, but their personal life. Uh, and it's, mm-hmm. it's do the do the best you can, be the best gaming community you can be to the people that have supported you throughout the years. Yeah, this is your real chance that if you want to show off your your truest sportsmanship, this is your opportunity to do it. This is this is when you can be the best person you've ever been. Where you can be gooder than the good host. So, uh, having said all that and kind of made our our public a service announcement, let's dive into the episode topic proper, which is non-tournament practice, Uh, because not a lot of us are going to tournaments right about now. Definitely not. Funny how that works. Quarantines. Yes. um, One or two people are. Shame on those people. Please don't. (laughs) We're we're doing our best to keep this thing under wraps. Uh, But for all the rest of us who are following the good host's footsteps... (laughs) what kind of things can we do while we're, you know, either stuck in quarantine or more broadly speaking, just not able to go to tournaments? Because for a lot of people, even outside of this whole mess, like they may not be able to hit two dozen tournaments in a year. They may not be able to hit one tournament every three months for a lot of folks. They got obligations. So learning to practice outside of tournaments can be a really huge help. Mm-hmm. What, what are you guys' sort of big strategies in terms of, like, what do you look for when you want to practice outside of a tournament? What are you, what are you hoping to get for, out of it? So typically what I'm looking for um, outside of tournament play is uh, practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And when I, when I say reps, I mean it. Like, you stay sharp. Um, you don't, you don't want to lose that edge. You want to be able to go through your phases, remember everything, um, do, do the best you can to just mechanically play the game. It doesn't matter what army you're playing. It doesn't matter, you know, what version of the game you're playing, staying sharp in a game of miniatures and just, you know, running through the, running through the phases and doing everything you can. It makes, you know, you a lot less mistake prone. Uh, you're not going to forget things. You're going to move faster. You're going to do everything a little bit sharper. Um, and it just kind of helps keep that edge. Um, I'm fortunate enough during this time to be in the same household of two other 40K players. Uh, and one of them being my wife, another being my friend Josh. And I can, you know, we can whip together a game at any time. Uh, so I, I'm getting plenty of practice in. Well, at least I say that. I totally haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but... 
when I want to, the ability is definitely there. Um, and we do all sorts of things uh, between, you know, deployment practice and playing out our leagues when it's not, you know, coronavirus season uh, and um, theory crafting and doing all sorts of stuff and just discussing with each other. And sometimes we'll just even like on a road trip to a GT, we'll just discuss matchups and how to play them. And we'll talk about people's lists that we're looking at BCP. Like, how would you play against this list? And we mm -hmm. discuss deployment types and this and that. And we just kind of even just mentally go through it. So there's a lot of ways to essentially play a game without actually playing a game. Mm -hmm. uh shaylin do you have any any sort of like tick tricks or strategies that you use because i know you haven't been able to go to as many tournaments lately as either of us would have liked well also with that having to take a year off tournaments because of work yeah i did a lot of just learning things i'm like all right well i'm gonna read all of the codexes now mm -hmm. i am going to um build and discuss lists for armies I'm not familiar with. I am going to just immerse myself in things I just haven't bothered to deal with yet because I was so focused in on the me and now. It's like, well, let's look at the broader picture. Mm -hmm. Let's look at other tournaments. Let's look at battle reports. Let's listen to podcasts you haven't listened to in a while. Things like that. Yeah, there's even when you have limitations on what you can do, whether that means not going to tournaments, not playing games, not being able to buy new models, whatever your limitations may be, uh, there's always going to be something you can still do within those limitations. And anything you can do is better than nothing. The best standard, the ideal, would be that we all get to go to a tournament every weekend twice a week. But obviously that does not happen, so we kind of, we work within the limits we have and and do what we can with that mm -hmm. uh so let's let's drill down on a couple of these these common sort of common situations for like folks who are you know playing outside of tournaments um i think the most common one probably is playing against a a less competitive or less experienced opponent uh because we've all run into this one is like you roll into the your local game store and you want to get a pickup game and it's you know timmy the 13 year old kid who bought like a battle force and a predator and he wants to get a game in and there's no one else to play against um so you know what do you do it's like you can turn timmy down but that's kind of a, a shitty thing to do to him and a shitty thing to do to yourself um so how do you make that a competitive game if you're already obviously above his level well, the first thing I asked Timmy is I asked him why he's not playing in any of the uh, RTTs or leagues. I haven't seen him around. Um, I try and get that little like community nod in there. Yeah. Uh, and when Timmy replies, "Oh, I'm not going to play in a tournament. I can't win." Mm -hmm. I I I quickly switch into mentor mode uh, and begin um, teaching him the game and advising him that like, "Hey, we learn all this stuff and we go through all this stuff at." A tournament like and you know at your rtts and such and that's that's the best way to learn but today we're gonna get you set up to, to kick some ass at that rtt yeah yeah and i i will point out i won my very first game under my own power at an rtt so that's there's some cool things there yeah there's a lot of people are afraid of rtts uh for various reasons uh we may dive into that more on another episode but encouraging those people to kind of work towards getting better is obviously going to be a huge step because not only are you building a community but you're helping players get better and the better the players you play against are the better you're going to get but 
Uh, mentoring is actually a really good one that uh, Shailen mentioned there. When you're teaching someone about a game, you can learn a lot from it. Uh, I've been mentoring people. I just have a mentoring nature. Um, but when you realize you have to explain it to someone and they don't get it the first time, you have to rephrase it and build it in a way they understand. It's amazing how you have to look at the rules and interpret them differently when you make that simple mental exercise. Mm-hmm. And you can get a feel for your opponent's skill level where they're at on like on when to apply uh, certain maneuvers and certain things. Like, I'm not going to wrap and trap something if I know that's going to make my opponent kill nothing in my army Yeah. throughout the entire game. I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to move over here, I'm going to kill this, and I'm going to leave these guys hang out in the wind. <laughs> um, and then he's going to kill some of them, and then I'm going to go over here and just like... You gotta, you gotta give them, give them a little bit of, of something, but like at the same time, like if they're, you know, if they're kind of on that level of understanding that there's a wrap and a trap there, you can show them if they could have avoided it, how, and then let them avoid it. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, this would be a better play. Try this out. Now I can't do that to you. And they go, oh, cool. Right. And then they're, hopefully they take that lesson learned and go from there. And, they, and you don't need to make them learn it the hard way. It's not a tournament. There's no point in making them learn it the hard way. You can give them the the game the take back and go oh no if you just did this you deny this deep strike here and then i don't get the jump into your back line with the smash captain and then they're having a much better day um the other thing i will point out on top of this is uh i've done a lot of research on human psychology being autistic it's kind of how i talk to normal people positive reinforcement teaches way better than negative reinforcement so do give them the opportunity to go okay cool because that makes it positive yeah. Even aside from sort of like building stronger opponents, this can have a lot of benefit for you as well, uh, because obviously we're talking about, you know, how you can get good practice out of this sort of thing. <laughs> you won't always be able to trap that unit that you wanted to. Sometimes you will get stuck out in the open, even in a competitive game, um, because they rolled just what they needed on the morale check or because or you failed the charge. You failed the charge. You killed too many models because they just failed three three-up armor saves and lost a guy. Uh, or whatever it may be. You won't always get your ideal situation. Um, so putting yourself intentionally in a non-ideal situation prepares you to play from that position where things didn't go the way you want. And that can be very useful. Similarly, you can just straight up handicap yourself if your opponent is comfortable with that. Um, you may just say like, hey, you know, I, I want to play a game with you. Uh, obviously, I'm more experienced and in many cases you may be locally recognized. Uh, so this player may be a little bit intimidated already. If you just say, hey, I want to play 200 points down. And if they're as long as they're fine with that, then that sort of sets up again this like, what if he just shot real well on the first turn and killed your unit of terminators? Well, don't put that unit of terminators in your army to represent that. Mm-hmm. One scenario I like to try is big. Okay, what happens if I fail on my psychic my psychic spells this turn? And I just skip my psychic phase. Like, sure, that's something I'll discuss with my, with my opponent and be like, hey, I'd like to you know try this without my psychic phase this is more just of a practice thing for me because i want to see how bad it can go and like for example if you're playing eldar you're gonna find out that's real bad yes (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and then, but like other, other armies, you'd be like, okay, you can kind of see the resilience of what happens when certain spells go off and certain ones don't. And you can even pick and choose. You'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, I kind of want to see what happens when I don't get this buff off. Um, cause you know, it's a, it's a warp charge seven or eight. That's not always going to go off. So you got to be able to acknowledge that and, and plan for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I, I give my opponent a set of psychic cards and I said, you get to pick what power I have this battle. And then I play with that power. Just that one. Sure. Uh, a fun thing to do to make it fun for your opponent that I like to do sometimes um, is be like, hey, pick my secondaries. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so be like, be like, pick my secondaries. Uh, don't you can't you can't pick anything that I can't that I can score zero on. But like, feel free to pick my secondaries, uh, and I'll try and play to that. Mm-hmm. Sure. It forces you to play outside your comfort zone, uh, which is really kind of what we're aiming for with a lot of this stuff. And speaking of, let's let's go ahead and talk about narrative games because this is another one that you'll you see you may you may go to an event that is not a tournament but is still a big event that might have four or five or even six rounds. Um, you'd be kind of a fool to just throw away six rounds of good play, even if it is not specifically competitive. Uh, so. What can what can we do at a narrative event or or even just a narrative pickup game or league or something like this to kind of get more out of these games? Um, so some of the techniques I use are ways I keep my morale high when I'm getting my butt kicked is I will set objectives that will make me feel like I'm winning. Sure. But they, these might be objectives that are fluff-based or, I mean, God knows I've got enough lore for my army to, like, have views about what they would feel about the situation. Um, but these could be also things that might be really arbitrary and fun where it's like, I roll a d6, I'm going to go sit on objective six alternates in the middle of the opponent's zone. I don't care, I'm going to go sit on objective six. <laughs> sure. As I said earlier, with uh, with with narrative games um, and staying sharp, narrative games are still forty k. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're for the most part. You get some different missions, but you're still playing same model, same rules, um, and it does allow you to like since you're building a fluffier list to go with the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does allow you to explore the codex a little bit more and get to know some of the units that you may not have played with, and gives you the opportunity to play with those units, and maybe you find some gold. Who knows? Yeah, Sean found that Eldar stratagem. Yeah. If you are playing in a narrative game and you sort of want to build like a specific set of constraints, it's like, well, I'm playing a same Han army, which means it's got to be nothing but jet bikes, skimmers, and units that go inside them. Um, you can still optimize that list, and you can still try to play that list the best you can and learn something about those units, uh, because there's still a lot to do there. Um, another thing I've done that can kind of be interesting uh, is if you're playing a narrative game and you really want to kind of like set a little a little bit of a handicap for yourself or, or make first you do something unusual um, pretend you are also playing whatever local format you use whether it's ITC or something else uh, this works especially well with like ITC and Nova that have secondary objectives um, because if I am sort of making my own little tally off to the side to count up the points that I have scored on Gangbusters and Recon and King of the Hill, that is forcing me to play in a particular way that I would normally be doing in a competitive game, 
even though it has no benefit in the narrative game. It's just a thing I'm doing. And you can create a narrative around that if you want to. You can say, like, there's a valuable artifact in the center of the field, and I've got to get it. That's why I have King of the Hill. And it doesn't earn you anything in the narrative game, but it allows you to behave in a narrative way and handicap yourself in such a way that you may are not going to steamroll someone um, while still allowing you to practice for the kinds of behaviors and thought processes that are going to benefit you in a competitive game. It's like you may have lost, but you definitely scored the 12 secondaries you're aiming for. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The other thing you might do is you might say, well, I usually castle up in the middle. I'm going to castle up on the left side today. Sure. Anything you can do to kind of like change up your your common practices can be very good in these sorts of games. Like do something different. Leagues are actually another one that you will you see a lot of people get a, potentially a lot of games in. Uh, and I know Ben, you've taken advantage of this quite a few times because your area is great for leagues. Yeah, we we our local game um, our local league is ran by my friend who's living with me right now, Josh, and. He does a fantastic job running. It's about it's a five pod forty plus man league, so we get tons of games in overall. So it's it ends up being five games over eight weeks, mm-hmm. and you get assigned missions. Um, so you know what which mission you're playing, what opponent on, and what army they're playing. But you get to change your list between your games. Um, you're you're stuck into a an army choice. So it's if say I picked orcs, I'm stuck into orcs. I can't play anything else. Um, and if you have a super faction, you have to pick uh, to have a majority of something. You know, elite your majority. Like if I pick imperial, if I pick imperium, imperium, and I pick, I need to pick uh, a main faction in imperium to have the majority of my points be in. Mm. Just to make it so people aren't just like, oh, today I'm playing imperial guard, tomorrow I'm playing you know imperial knights. So you got to be able to, you got to have some you know some consistency to it. Sure. They fight that with that, but it's it's really fun to be able to change a list and tune your list to your opponent, uh, and watch what your as your opponent tries to tune your list to you, expecting what you to take, and then you both come to the table and you're like, "Ha! I brought all this anti-infantry stuff," and they're like, and then they're like, "Ha! I brought vehicles," and you're like, "Oh, uh." <laughs> yes. A- a- another case where you were potentially sort of playing uphill that can get you a lot. Also, you can potentially get even more games in by being a ringer. Uh, if you just volunteer for that, it's like, if that's all you want is to get the maximum number of games in, leagues can be amazing for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also, because they, some of them do growth leagues and stuff, it helps you maybe pick up a new army, build units you haven't gotten to. There's a lot of opportunities there to explore part of the gaming space you haven't touched yet. Mm-hmm. You also get to play a ton of players that you don't always get to play all the time. Um, I still, like, if I show up to a store for a league game, I'm going to play my league game, but if someone else is there, I'm also going to play them too, and I normally might not. Yep. I host league games out of my home, I do all sorts of things, and, like, it's probably the thing I'm the most excited for, aside from going to GTs, are actually leagues, uh, is actually my our, our league. Um, so, like, I look forward more to that more than our RTTs and such, because it's, it's super exciting. Um, I usually, I don't always play orcs in the league, Last one I did Space Marines just to get a feel for Space Marines, and it was a ton of fun. I you know, mostly played White Scars and had a great time doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leagues are a really good way to get your practice games in because they're so consistent and they give everyone an incentive to keep doing things on a regular basis, which is often the trouble is people kind of, they get a little fatigued on things. 
So aside from leagues, another thing that uh, I've done a number of times and we've actually talked about a little bit on the show is deployment practice. Uh, because deployment is the thing you're going to do every single game and you're going to need to get it right or else the rest of your game is kind of going to be a mess. So because it's that important, it helps to have a whole lot of practice with it. So sometimes just practicing deploying your army, which you don't even need necessarily need another player for. It obviously helps because they can kind of deploy their army out and you know you know how to respond to that. But you can do it without anyone else there. You can either set up a table or set up part of a table or fake it till you make it. Um, there's many ways to do that, even if you don't have a proper sized 40k table available to you. Another thing you can do is you can take pictures of a table and then talk it out. Like, okay, I deploy in this ruin because of this reason. Well, if it was this mission, I'd probably favor this other ruin because it's a little closer to the objective. And things like that. And you can still have that perfectly viable conversation with somebody. Um, and you didn't have to move any physical models because the physical placement of the models is what matters, not necessarily the mechanical motion. So that's certainly helpful. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of theory time that goes into it too. Cause you can, you can get your, especially with the new deployment types in the ITC, um, you, you, there's a lot more, you know, a lot less risk in, you know, deploying everything on the front line. Cause there, there is no risk. You're not going to get seized on anymore or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, you get the opportunity to see what it looks like when you get to fo- go first. You get the opportunity to see, like when you, the, see what it's like when you go second. Um, and you can run through all six deployment types. And it, the trend of creating um, uh, universal boards that are based on the deployment mm-hmm. for like the top 100 tables at LVO, for example, we definitely built those tables and we definitely practiced on them uh, before LVO. And it was super fantastic to be able to do that and know exactly what you're walking into and maybe even change your list or make the make the changes you need to make to be more successful at that tournament because of the terrain you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, because you'll that way you'll know where can my units fit, how big are my auras going to cover, how is this going to constrain me in different ways. And that's all stuff that's really valuable to know in advance because if you've already done it and gone through it and you know exactly what's coming – then you don't have to be figuring that out at the table. It's just you're like, oh, mission six deployment, dawn of war. Cool, I know what to do here. I've already done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you're you sort of like, okay, it's mission six, so I need to remember this and this and dawn of war, so that and the other thing. Oh, but my secondaries are this, and as as soon as you start having to make all those decision points, it makes your game ten times harder. Whereas if you just know it by rote memory, it's just this is what I do in this situation. Then you can look at and say, okay, but this is how it's going to be different this time. So I'll change this one thing, but everything else is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a common mistake in deployment that I mean, we could talk a whole episode on that, but a, t- a common mistake in deployment um, is deciding whether to reserve something or not. And a lot of people, if it's if, if something reserves for free or they're used to reserving that thing, ninety percent of the games they're going to find out that there's there's a couple times when you don't want to do that. Um, and I find this is a really good time to find it out of, okay, when do I start the obliterators on the board? Mm-hmm. When do I, when do I just not bother to deep strike anything? When do I, when do I deep strike half my army? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is a really good time to figure that out. Yeah, that can be absolutely critical. Um, let's talk about one of my favorites, actually. Uh, yes. Yeah. Team, team games. games. I like team games because I like interacting with more people because I'm a weirdo. But uh, one of my favorite things I learned from a team game is it lets me see 
how my partner plays, and I learn a lot about playstyle choices and the board itself by watching that person right there play with me. Yeah, as I mean, as the saying goes, two heads are better than one. Mm-hmm. Having that additional perspective on the game you are playing in the moment can be really valuable because it teaches you ways of thinking that you're not used to. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of team games is li- is the list building side of it. Um, I love seeing what broken crap we can make between a thousand points of one army and another. It is it is a really really fun list building exercise. Probably my favorite part. <laughs> Yes, you and you can do a lot of weird stuff that might not be otherwise possible, kind of regardless of what rules that your local tournament is using for the team setups. Mm-hmm. This can also be a really good opportunity to sort of like crack open allies, because that's essentially what you're doing, is you're bringing two 1,000-point allied detachments. Um, so if you are sort of like realizing like, oh, wow, like when I combine knights with this other 1,000 points of stuff... I get a really strong army. Well, maybe it's good enough that you can build a normal non-team army out of those 2,000 points and bring your 1,000 points of knights and 1,000 points of something else to support them. So definitely, like, the list-building aspect of it can really open up some doors for all your other games as well. Mm Mm-hmm. The one kind of caveat I would give is, uh, especially if you are the better player on the team, um, don't just play both halves of the game. That's not actually going to benefit both of you. You 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 want to make it a cooperative effort, because if you're just doing everything yourself and overriding all their decisions, then you're not learning anything. You're just doing what you usually do. Mm-hmm. One thing I like to do um, specifically is if I'm playing with somebody of a similar skill level, like uh, someone from my team, Mm -hmm. um, is we'll kind of discuss back and forth. And there's been more than one time where, like, I had my my path of thinking, my logic, and what I thought would be the best play. And then he says his, and I go, hold up. You're right. (laughs) Yep. Hopefully you get a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's it's a really good time to get like a new perspective of of you know how how they're thinking. They're like, oh, we're gonna do this. We're we're gonna this isn't gonna matter because we're gonna do this in the second phase and move move block over here and then do this in the assault phase and then with our consolidation movement do this and like they're you know they're in a different matrix mm-hmm. and you're you're thinking, oh, I was just gonna shoot the things. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna use my guns to shoot at them and then they would die. But sometimes just shooting the things is actually the better idea. I've been. Yeah, I've been I, I, I've been with that friend who, who's who's like pl- who's like jumping through the mental acrobatics to like pull something off, and I'm like, we can just shoot them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, I've definitely seen that once or twice. It's like, well, then I'll I'll declare an assault here and onto this other unit, but I won't get in base with them, and then I'll pile into here and I'll wrap the objective, and it's like, what what if I just fire my battle cannon at it? Oh yeah. i'm not used to having one of those (laughs) or what if i just deep strike that thing over there we seize the objective because there's nothing over there oh then they wouldn't hold more right (laughs) oh yeah reserves right (laughs) doesn't have to be complicated yes it is very easy to make things more complicated than they need to be especially in a game like this So, why don't we take a little musical break here, uh, step away from things for a minute, and we come back, we'll talk about some more ideas for how you can really ramp up your game. 
Greetings at In the Finest Hour. We'd like to put our money where our mouth is. So if you are a small business in the gaming community that is looking for some free advertising here on this podcast, please email us and we will hook you up for something. This offer is good throughout the entire pandemic. Good luck out there and stay healthy. Cheers. So, one thing we've mentioned in passing uh, a bunch of times already that I think deserves a little bit deeper drilling down on is playing with unusual units or uh, assemblies, as we've called them in the past, is, you know, combinations of a couple units or a unit and a stratagem or stuff like that. Uh, because I, this is one of the the best things you can get out of these practice games is like obviously keeping your skills sharp is useful. It keeps you where you are, but it isn't necessarily making you better. But a chance to play with units that you don't normally touch or stratagems that you would normally never even think to waste command points on can really open up avenues that you just haven't explored at all and potentially like break a meta wide open oh this is something i was good at at least was uh, <laughs> maybe still are we'll find out next time the tournament season rolls around huh <laughs> hopefully i, I I'm definitely have some lists boiling around post uh post psychic awakening for the orcs here so yep yeah, this is your real chance to do that sort of, like, take all that brainstorming you're doing and boil it down into a real army. Because you actually get to practice with it rather than just thinking about it. Um, another thing to note is there's some units that are almost usable. Like, they're they're just short one or two little things to make them good. Mm -hmm. And if you're aware of what they are and then they get an update and that update's enough, you already know it. You didn't have to research Yes, yeah, so you're you're a couple steps ahead of everyone else once their psychic awakening or whatever other supplement is coming out drops and changes things. Yeah, last season I was uh I was actually experimenting with my freebooter list before Vigilus came out. Right. So that's what that that unlocked a whole new world for me. I was I was like, well, this is almost good. It I'm gonna play around with it, and have fun with it. I might play it in RTT, and then Vigilus came out, and I'm like, wait, hold up. Mm -hmm. This is actually this is actually good. Yeah, and like it it added the shock attack gun, which was like which covered up a couple like a, a glaring weakness that I had and some other stuff. And I'm like, oh, this okay now now we actually have something that I can that might actually. It took me a long time to get, actually get over the imposter syndrome that that list could actually compete. Um, I even like the GT I won. I told my friend before I won the GT. I'm like I'm like yeah maybe after this I'll put away my toy list. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really hard to tell what is a toy list and what is a real list until you've played it and gotten some experience with it and really, like, worked your way up. Because you start out in these practice games, then you move your way up into to better and better games, but you do have to start at that lower level. Um, because most of the time, most of the things you're going to try are not going to work. That's just the reality of it 90% of all of your ideas are going to be garbage and that's fine because 90% of everything is garbage mm -hmm. um but then you'll find that like there's that other 10% is like ooh maybe this could be something good and half of that is still just not going to be quite worth it but it might be worth it later like Shaylin said 
and it's that final 5% that after you've done a bunch of playing and you're just like, man, my freebooters have been just steamrolling everyone I play in all of these games. Maybe I should take these to a tournament and see how they do in the big boy leagues. Or Josh and the Hunters. The Hunters or any number of things. It's like you. this is how these new lists get created is someone has a weird idea and tries it out. Mm hmm. I come from a, a I come from a gaming background where you understand that the meta is the ideas of thousands of people um, come coalescing together into one amalgamous uh, you know situation of like here's what the meta looks like and here's why um, and then you realize that only that less than ten percent of those players are actually innovating mm -hmm. and in forty k that community gets cut by a, a very large fraction. So as far as like who's innovating in 40K, there's not a whole lot of people. A lot of people are just gonna netlist um, and there's a very small number of innovators and all those innovators are very good yeah. um, at what the, at what they do. And they're, they're, they have a good eye for seeing that and developing that skill and having that eye um, is part of becoming a good player and being a good player. So understanding why something's good and going that direction with it or you know maybe reading something and going hey this this stratagem could actually be busted if we go this direction and building something around it there's no there's no reason not to experiment with that mm -hmm. yeah the the real plus side there is this the community is so small you can be one of those you know five or two percent of innovators um it's entirely possible to do a lot of people try but in order to actually be one of them, you're going to need to play a lot of practice games and try things out. It's not enough just to be different. You've got to try and fail and see what works. Fail forward. Absolutely. Well, speaking of uh, trying things that almost certainly won't work and failing forward, let's talk about theory crafting. Uh, because this is one where you don't ever actually have to play a game. Can we, can we talk about the doublest challenge? Sure. I mean, it's a challenge we've had many a time. <laughs> so the doublest challenge is you come up with an arbitrary list idea, hopefully from someone outside of the hobby, because then they come up with something really, really weird. Mm. Um, and then you have to build a list to deal with it, or to be it, depending on the definition of your challenge. Uh, and what this does is this lets you explore the fringe space of your army and any other army you might be looking at. Yeah. Like, what about... A gray hat list with no psychers. Yes, and you can do this sort of thing. It it often benefits you to, uh, if you're actually trying to come up with good lists, um, to sort of set a set of, try and optimize a particular facet of an army. Mm -hmm. And say, like, okay, I want to take advantage of this thing. What's the strongest way I can do that? Um, you're you're going to need a lot of in-depth knowledge of the army to do that, because you're going to need to know where these weird intersection points are. But once you're at that level, then you can start looking. Um, Josh and I did this at one of the LVOs when we were traveling together, and he just had this idea of, you know, hey, there's these spells that work on Nurgle demons, and there's these spells that work on Death Guard models. Some Death Guard models are Nurgle demons. Mm -hmm. What happens if I stack up as many of these spells as possible onto a unit? What unit can I even put that on? And how does it benefit them? And, and what about this could maybe be good? And so we spent most of that LVO weekend 
building this really weird Nurgle Demon Death Guard list uh, and trying to optimize the stuff there. It didn't end up being all that good. It was okay. Um, but it was the process that was important there, not necessarily the final result, because you're going to do that again and again and again. And in this time of just being virtually connected on and on, you know, internet chats, whether it be Zoom meetings or Facebook chats or this and that, it's really good. Like the first thing that happens when a new unit comes out or a new book gets published is me and my teammates or me and other people in that chat we'll just shoot lists at each other and we'll just start being like, well, what if you did this? Mm-hmm. You know, one of my new favorites right now is, you know, 120 goth boys. Um, like right. we're, I'm super excited for that list. I really want to put it on the table. I don't want to play it in tabletop simulator, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really excited to play that list. Yeah. Uh, and it's that excitement can be a great tool to leverage when something new comes out. Uh, because you can start put, you get all of these ideas that are going to be different from the ideas you had before. And you can leverage that into just, you know, talking with people and then keying off their ideas, brainstorming. You know, 120 Goth Boys, that that's really cool. But what if it was 90 Goth Boys and 90 more Evil Sons? And you just, you keep spinning these ideas We've talked about in the past, like our process of list building, usually there are dozens or sometimes even hundreds of lists that you build before you find the one you take to a tournament. And this is part of that process. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, since we've already mentioned Tabletop Simulator, why don't we jump right in on that one and talk about using Tabletop Simulator or Vassal, which is kind of a, a similar but slightly different equivalent. Um, for those who don't know anything about them, Tabletop Simulator is essentially a virtual tabletop. Uh, it allows you a sort of online play space where all sorts of different pieces can be added and moved around. Uh, the fan community has created a whole set of Warhammer 40k models for it that you can, uh, download the kind of expansion packs for free and move these around on the table and play a virtual game of 40k. Uh, Vassal is a similar kind of thing, but more explicitly designed for tabletop wargaming. It's 2D. Yes, it's 2D, whereas Tabletop Simulator is uh, technically 3D. Uh, Maybe not in a terribly useful way, but it is 3D. It is VR compatible, which actually does help. Yeah, it makes it easier to access. Um... So both of these are ways to play 40K even when you can't meet up with another person physically. Um, And they allow you to build armies that you simply don't have the models for or aren't willing to spend the time on or what have you. Uh, So in that sense, they can be very useful. But they also have a lot of limitations because you're not actually building the sort of uh, mental muscles that you normally would in moving your models around the table and sort of doing all the the minutiae that would normally be a part of things there. Yeah, there's no chess clock practice. But it does let you, um, for example, play someone who lives on the other side of the country that might not be someone visible to you. Yes, you know, Games that are less than perfect are better than no games. Like, that's the the big lesson of this entire episode. So if the only game you can play is on Tabletop Simulator or Vassal, great. It's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Two things I love about TTS uh-huh. is I, I love the fact that you can, pausing a game is really easy. It's really easy to just walk away from a game, come back to it. Sure. Um, 
It's also very easy, uh, but the thing you lose out on is chestnut practice, which is super important to me. Um, it's super slow. Yeah. Yes, they both TTS and Vassal are very slow to play, um, often clocking in at like double the time of a normal game, um, which can be a big detriment because if a normal game is three hours, six hours sunk into one of these is a hell of an investment. Uh, but again, something is better than nothing. Yep. And they can allow you to experiment in ways you might not be able to otherwise. Mm-hmm. Or get access to people and players you might not be able to otherwise. If you're one of the best players in your meta and you're like, oh man, I can't really get out and see strong players elsewhere, well, it can get you access to those people. So. Yep. Well, uh, I think the last one that kind of ties into that and is maybe the, the most obtuse would be watching battle reports. Yes. There are a lot of them out there these days. A lot of people are producing battle reports uh, of widely varying quality. Um, we'll just say right off the top here, try and watch the good ones. Um, seems obvious, but not all battle reports are equally good. Um, a battle report between two subpar players that are just way below your skill level or that are just not very knowledgeable about the game in general is probably not going to help you much. Um, you may want to watch it for entertainment purposes. You may still enjoy it. You may like the players, but it's not going to help your game very much. Um, so find one that is between good players because there are a lot of them between good players. Good players like playing each other. Weird. Yes. Yeah, one thing one thing I like is I like to if I'm at an event, um, I like to actually when I get home go watch some of the uh, recorded streams that were at that were at that event. Or if I couldn't make a certain event, uh, go ahead and watch those streams live. I find the the live broadcast to be super important. You can kind of walk through their decision making process, and you you can see the top of the table and go, oh, I would do this, and then watch them do something different and go, oh, well, I see. Said the blind man. <laughs> yes. It the 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 live battle reports are one of the best ways you can learn for a number of reasons because obviously you can do as Ben said you know kind of like look through it think out what you would do and then when they do something different get surprised um but also you can interact with people um especially if it is not a tournament game um many of the times if they're you know streaming this for their podcast or whatever else um they're going to be interacting with the audience and you can ask questions you can be like hey you moved your terminators over there why'd you do that and they may be able to tell you um or they may be putting commentary over that will tell you it's like ah you see he's moved his terminators over in the corner this seems like a mistake but actually um so that interactivity is very valuable mm-hmm. um and games like that will often have a lot of other people in the stream that you can be talking with about things, even if the people on stream are not interacting with you. Uh, and many times those are often very good players as well, people you can learn a lot from. Um, sometimes you get the benefit of being on the stream yourself and going back and watching yourself make all the mistakes in the universe and going, all right, this is what I need to tighten up. <laughs> yes. Uh that is uh, kind of a, a slightly different sort of benefit thing, as that is playing a game and reviewing it, as opposed to being unable to play a game, um, but also incredibly valuable. You know, whether you were at the tournament, whether you were on the stream, or whether you were neither of those things, um, watching those battle ports can be very good. Mm-hmm. So, 
Uh, with what Shaylin mentioned, and not you can you don't need to actually have somebody record that game for you. You can actually record your own practice game, true, uh, and review and do an after action report because after action report is a really good way to essentially play the game again um, without actually playing the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really it's really good it's a really good time to get that review in and and go over. Uh, how you could possibly play your game better because then you're actually seeing yourself from a different perspective. Um, as far as what I like to do, what I do is I sometimes do Facebook live streams or if I record my game, uh, all it takes is a cheap phone mount and a microphone um, and a microphone stand um, that connects to it. And you can actually have it you know, sit vertically over your table and record the entire game. Um, and then you can go over it, fast forward it, do whatever you need to do. Uh, and with all this time of no tournament play and no actual gameplay for some people, this would be a good time to do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I just finished building the Twitch room, so I will be able to do that for myself, teaching my poor, long-suffering fiancé how to play. <laughs> I need an opponent, okay? And he lives with me. Yep. <laughs> so, really what we're sort of want to hit here is, you know, the point we've said several times anything is better than nothing. But obviously there are ways to optimize no matter what you're doing. So look to what can I get out of this game? What can I learn from this game? Just like you would with a loss at a tournament. You can you can say, well, I didn't get what I wanted. I wanted to win the game and win the tournament, but I can still get something from it. I can still learn something from this. Do that with all your other games as well, or even with other people's games in the case of battle reports and whatnot. Um, No matter what you're doing, no matter what situation you're in, there are ways you can still be learning. Um, If you are watching one of the more subpar battle reports, maybe what you do is you're sitting down there with a fellow good player like, how can we clean up these two players? Right. It's something. Yep, you can do something. There's always some way you can look to be learning from whatever experience you're having, whether it is just talking through a game, watching someone else play a game, playing a game against an opponent that you normally would not, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So just always be looking for that learning opportunity, because that's the thing that really is going to set the best players apart, is that they're always looking to learn something new. Yeah, there's always an opportunity to, once again, like I said earlier, stay sharp. You don't even need to be playing 40k. You can be playing any other miniature game. Heck, you don't even need to play a miniature game. You can be playing card games. There's lots of ways to keep yourself mentally sharp going through a structured, phased, competitive game. Um, keeping yourself on top of things. Because the moment you get lazy, the moment you get dull, the moment you start you know, skipping steps or not thinking in a critical um, and competitive way, uh, the more likely and more prone you're going to be to mistakes. I, I was going to comment, there was a very famous baseball player that commented, he was a pitcher, and they're like, why are you so good? And the answer is, every time I throw something, I aim and throw it very deliberately. <laughs> and as, as as I was finishing with that, it's it's super important to stay sharp, especially in these long downtime periods. Um, you can play, you can be the best at anything. You're never going to be in a situation where you have been on the bench for two months haven't practiced at all and get up and do incredibly well again. Like it, it's, it's just not something that's going to happen. You, you can be one of the best players in the world and, and probably still stomp people after not playing for you know, a very long period of time, but you're definitely not going to be as good as you could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you've got to, you, you gotta, you gotta sharpen your skills just like you sharpen a knife. 
and practice is how you do that. And there's lots of ways to get practice. Hopefully we need, we've been able to teach you uh, at least a small handful of new ones through this episode. Um, maybe you, you ran into something you, you never knew before. Uh, but if there's something that you personally do and you think we missed it and you'd like to tell us about it, maybe for a little shout out on the next episode or something, or you have some questions about something we brought up and you just want to talk to us, uh, you can contact us through in, in the finest hour at gmail.com as well as on our Facebook page in the finest hour. And if you feel like we're doing a great job and you have the ability to throw a little bit of money our way, $5 a month will get you a subscription to our Patreon, where you can get part of the private Facebook group, as well as our Discord server, where we post about all kinds of things and come up with weird lists and make 40k memes and get to see pictures of Shay's dresses and... <laughs> All these super fancy wall scrolls that they've been getting recently. No regrets. Yep. And it all helps support the podcast. Uh, so a huge thanks to all of our Patreons who make this whole thing possible and have made all the equipment that not only runs the podcast, but is helping us expand into the Twitch streaming room and everything else possible. We'd also like to thank Dank News for providing the wonderful intro and intermission music that we use. You can find them on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. And I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for a the awesome Lady of Titan banner in the Twitch room and just being our awesome iconography artist. And Stephanie Sherman for doing our t-shirts, which you probably won't see until tournaments start happening again. They exist. Yes, those are they're gonna be in hiding for a little bit yet. Oh, I think that covers everything, so we will catch everyone next week as we talk about the first turn of the game, setting yourself up to win with the deployment phase. So, for In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen. Ben Jurek. Thanks for listening.